we will be reading Psalm 119, verses 25 to 40. My soul cleaveth unto the dust. Quicken thou me according to thy word. I have declared my ways, and thou heardest me. Teach me thy statutes. Make me to understand the way of thy precepts. So shall I talk of thy wondrous works. My soul melteth for heaviness. Strengthen thou me according unto thy word. Remove from me the way of lying, and grant me thy law graciously. I have chosen the way of truth. Thy judgments have I laid before me. I have struck unto thy testimony. I have stuck unto thy testimonies, O Lord. Put me not to shame. I will run the way of thy commandments, when thou shalt enlarge my heart. Teach me, O Lord, the way of thy statutes, and I shall keep it unto the end. Give me understanding, and I shall keep thy law. Yea, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Make me to go in, in the path of thy commandments, for therein do I delight. Incline my heart unto thy testimonies, and do not and not to covetousness. Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity, and quicken thou me in thy way. Establish my word unto thy servant, who is devoted to thy fear. Turn away my reproach, which I fear, for thy judgments are good. Behold, I have longed after thy precepts. Quicken me in the way of thy righteousness. You may be seated. Good morning. I'm going to ask if you would, before we begin our study in Psalm 119, verses 33 through 40, if you would join me in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, the more I learn from your word, the greater delight I take in your presence with me. And the longer that I open your word, the more my eyes are open to my own sin and my own need for you. As we open your word this morning, Lord... I pray that you would show us wonderful things, that you would reveal yourself to us, that you would move us from apathy and stir us onward in the faith that we might please you with our lives and in the process give you great glory. And so, Father, we welcome you here among us today. We pray that you would speak your word and that you would have your own way among us. Father, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'd like to ask up front if there's any evidence in your life that you've been with the Lord. Is there any evidence, any convicting evidence that you have been with the Lord? You know, I was thinking about those, those Jewish leaders with the apostles and they were saying in the book of Acts as they encountered Peter and and, and, and the apostles testifying, preaching, teaching in the name of Jesus. And they got together and they realized that these guys have been hanging out with Jesus. Something about these guys. I was also drawn to the book of Exodus. And you might remember in Exodus 34, Moses. Moses is coming back down from the mountain. Having met with the Lord for the past 40 days. And he's carrying in his hands the two tablets, hot off the press from the Lord. He's walking down the mountain. And in Exodus 34, 29 and 30, it says, Now it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. 
So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. You see, Moses had been with God for 40 days, talking with God on the mountain. It became evident immediately among the people that Moses had been with God. Faces don't typically shine like that. Something was different about Moses. You see, Moses had been summoned by God to meet with him. And for 40 days, he communed with God. Friends, being in the presence of God will transform you. Your face might not shine like Moses's did. But it will radiate the joy of the Lord. You know, people tend to get a little bit nervous around devoted followers of Jesus. Have you noticed that? Get around a godly man, a godly woman, and these people that just leak Jesus, they talk about Jesus all the time. Their life is evident that Jesus is the Lord of their life. People tend to get a little nervous. Can anyone see that Jesus has made a difference in your life? Is the overflow of love in your heart for the Lord revealing itself in your words, in your actions, in your Can I go so far as to say your body language? You know, there are some of us who come in here and you're here, you occupy a chair, but your body language speaks volumes. You know what I'm talking about? Body language. Is there a desire to be here? I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 122 verse 1. He says, I was glad. When they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Friends, are you glad? Is there a gladness within you being here in the Lord's house among the people of God? He has made me glad. That chorus, he has made me glad. I will rejoice. Why? For he's made me glad. He is the one who's made me glad. Is there any convicting evidence that you've been communing with Jesus? You know, I read Psalm 119 and I get the impression that the psalmist has been walking with the Lord. He's no stranger to the ways of God. In fact, it seems that he has a hard time saying anything but God. (laughs) If you read the text, he keeps on talking about his love for God's word. He, He never tires, it seems, of speaking of the things of God. He's moved by the Holy Spirit. And the psalmist is a, what I would call, a perpetual word bearer. That's all he talks about. That's what he is all about. He's moved by the Spirit. Verse after verse, he continues to pour forth from his lips about his great God and about the great word of his God. This is a man who's been with the Lord. Last week, we read that his soul went from clinging to the dust in verse 25 to clinging to his testimonies. And then he says in 32, I will run the course. He says this with great resolve. He says, because you shall enlarge or widen my heart, my understanding. You see, he's going to run the course of the Lord, but he's relying on the Lord to make his running possible. It's a run of faith, friends. He's looking to the prize. He's running in such a way as to get the prize. 
He's removing the weights. He's removing that sin that so easily entangles. And he's running. You know, resolving to run the Lord's course is no small task. It takes wholehearted devotion. It takes full-time commitment. It takes a spirit of humility. It takes a willingness to submit your will to God's will. It takes an unwavering loyalty to the God of heaven and the Lord Jesus Christ. We talked about this a few weeks ago. That one does not register and sign up to run a triathlon. To do so half-heartedly. The Bible indicates that putting your hand to the plow... Following Jesus requires no looking back, no going back. We're going forward with the Lord. We're walking with him, a student of his, a pupil of his, a learner of his. All of our days, we follow our master. We follow him all the way through the finish line, even when life hurts. We follow him because we know where he went. He went to a cross that took his life. And so then as his followers, we are willing to go where Jesus went. We're willing to go even if it means going from our mountaintop experience to the valley. Those vows that we take, we're willing to go in sickness or in health. For better, for worse. You see, the race of faith requires a constant communication with God. And the logical follow-up is right here what we have in verses 33 to 40. The follow-up from last week is right here in the text. I think some of us, we read Psalm 119 and we think that these are all disjointed. I tend to believe there are some connections between the stanzas. And in fact, we're reading the one we read last week. Right on the heels, we're reading the very next set of verses. I do believe there's a connection. It's a follow-up. The psalmist is resolving to run. That's where we left off last week. But I believe he's realizing he's in desperate need of God and his word in order to keep running. He needs God. And so do you, friends. So do I. We need God as we endeavor to run this race. You know, I was thinking about this and I was reminded of the IndyCar racers. I'm not much of a race fan. But I was reminded of this as I was thinking through what the psalmist is doing in the text. In IndyCar racing, there are these cars and they're zooming around the track going hundreds of miles an hour. As they are in the race, they have a built-in communication channel. You see, they're driving, but they're also talking to their pit crew leader. They have this little microphone as they're driving and steering the wheel going hundreds of miles an hour. And they're talking on this thing to their pit crew leader. They're talking. And not only are they talking, but they're listening. They can hear what the pit crew leader has to say. And they're, they're giving them all kinds of instructions. Hey, watch out. There's a car up here that's doing this, that's doing that. And they're giving them a heads up for, so they know when they come around the turn what to expect. So there's talking and there's listening. What's the point? The point is this. Communication is happening while the race is going on. While it's happening. They don't stop so that he can talk to his pit crew guy. The race is going on. Once it begins, it keeps on going all the way to the finish line. You see, God's called his children to run this race by faith. And I'm afraid that some of his children are still pacing themselves around the track, waiting for God to somehow zap them as a means of starting the race. You're waiting for God to do something 
before you start running. Friends, that's not faith. That's not faith. Walk by faith. Walk, live. Those words are interchangeable in the scripture. Walk and live. Live by faith. As we run the race, the Lord himself promises that he will be with us. Some scriptures that help us and give us some definition to this faith. Hebrews 11.1 says that it's the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. We see that also in that same Hebrews verse 6 of chapter 11. We see that without faith it's impossible to what? It's, it's impossible to please God. It, says, it goes on, it says that he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Romans 4.21 is also another verse that you can jot down. It's speaking to Abraham and how he was fully convinced that what God promised, what God spoke, he believed wholeheartedly that God was able to perform what he spoke. That's faith, believing He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And I believe that describes the man moved by the Spirit writing here in Psalm 119. And that also should be the descriptor of each one of us who endeavor to follow our Lord. You see, is the evidence abundant that you are diligently seeking him? Diligently seeking him. As the psalmist runs the course of the Lord. I want you to watch how he communicates with his God. Watch how he communicates with his God. Note what he asks God for. This stanza in 33 to 40 is filled with petitions. Filled, loaded. What's a petition? Simply put, it's asking of God. Asking of God something perhaps for yourself, asking of God something for someone else. Asking of God for something in the world. Asking God. Petitions identify the heart. If you think about, and you read 33 to 40, and then think about what you typically petition or ask God for. Ask yourself, is there a gap here? Am I asking of God Similar things that the psalmist is asking? Are, are, my, are my things that I'm asking for typically, are they totally different, set apart than, than these things here in 33 to 40? Note what he's asking. Because they do say something about our heart. These petitions, they serve as a window into the treasure. What is our treasure? We're going to petition God oftentimes about the things we treasure. And a quick inventory through 33 and 4 through 40. And you get this gauge on the state of the psalmist's soul. You know, it's hard to read these verses and not cry out, amen. With, you know, because you read them and almost after every verse, it's like, amen, amen. This is good. Yes, yes. This is something I desire. Yes. If you are in the Lord, that amen, I hope, comes. You see, for the one that's walking with the Lord by faith, these petitions, they resonate with our soul. And yet at the same time, I believe there's something, as we read them, there's something that's gnawing at us, eating away at us. It's this realization that what you're reading here doesn't match my life. It doesn't quite look like 
what mine looks like. You desire these things, but you know that it's not currently true in your life. Listen, the psalmist's delight and desire for God and his word is not out of reach for you. What we're reading about here, this is not out of reach. I want to make that clear this morning because I do believe there could be this tendency. I think Psalm 119, as we think about Psalm 119, I don't believe that Psalm 119 is here to rub salt in a wounded servant of the Lord. As if to taunt him or dangle before him this picture of what it is to follow God and yet not really expect anyone to live this way. You see, the scriptures are profitable for our soul. And they're here to instruct us. They're here to rebuke us. They're here to correct us. They're here to train us in righteousness. And the psalmist is testifying that man can walk with God. He can. In fact, he's obligated to. It's a fight. It's a struggle. But it is possible. And more than just a possibility, the Lord calls you to run this race with him. And here's the good news. He promises never to leave you nor forsake you in the race. You don't have to do it on your own. The challenge of reading the text before us in Psalm 119 is that one might be tempted to conclude, hey, the bar is way too high for me. This psalmist is out of my league. That's one of the the challenges when you read this. You know, I was reading in my Bible this past week, church, and I was reading about a God for whom nothing is impossible. That prayer, Jeremiah, it says, the one who made the heavens and the earth, he is more than able to help me run while I'm here on earth. Nothing is too difficult for this God that I know in the scriptures. Do you know the same God? Nothing too difficult for him. See, the problem might be that you're looking at things from man's perspective. If you have Christ in you, you have the Spirit of God in you. And if the Spirit abides in you, you've been given the mind of Christ to see things now as He sees them. Because the Bible says in Corinthians chapter 2 that the Spirit knows the things of God. Yes, even the deep things of God. The Spirit knows the things of God. So what does the psalmist petition the Almighty God for as he runs this race? He's resolving to run. What is he petitioning? And and I want you to to consider this this morning. Not to just look at what the psalmist is petitioning. But ask yourself. Am I petitioning God in this way? Because these things that we see the psalmist petitioning God for. Are the very same things all of us in the Lord Jesus Christ ought to be petitioning him for. Okay. So we'll go through these. First of all, I believe he's petitioning for a mind, a mind for God. That's his first position, uh, petition right up front. Verse 33, we see it in 33 and 34, but verse 33 says, teach me. There it is. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes and I shall keep it 
to the end. All the way to the end. You see, the, you see that tape on the finish line? I'm going to keep it all the way to the end. I'm going to stretch out all the way to the end. I'm going to finish as I'm being taught by the Lord along the journey. Teach me. He's petitioning for God to teach him through his word. One writer said, speaking to this, he says, Instruction from above is necessary for the children of God while they continue in this world. Friends, we need instruction from above to run this life here below. This petition, keep in mind, implies a heart ready to receive what the Lord has to say. It's, it's nothing but pious words speak to petition God to teach you and then really have no intention of obeying what he says. Lord, teach me your statutes. But really in your heart of hearts, you're going, I don't, I, I, I kind of want to do my own thing. Well, then you're not going to be petitioning from your heart, teach me. If you want to be taught by the Lord, it implies a heart that's ready to receive his commands, ready then to walk in that way. The psalmist is ready. He's going to keep it to the end. Teach me, and I'm going to keep it to the end. All the way to the finish line. Teach me, he says, the way of your statutes. He desires to be taught the course laid out by the word. He desires to be taught how to handle adversities, how to handle challenges, how to handle trials along the journey. Teach me the way, Lord. And notice what he plans to do upon learning in the Lord's school. I shall keep it to the end. All the way. See, the Lord, here's here's something important for us to understand. The Lord's teaching is never complete in a moment. He desires to teach you that you might grow, that you might be sanctified, that you might walk with him. Spurgeon said, those who are taught by God never forget their lessons. Those who are taught by God never forget their lessons. And we could, if we had time, we could go through example after example after example of that, of of people in the scripture who were taught a lesson by God that 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 was the pinpoint, that was the turning point of their life. When God taught them something in particular about their life, taught them perhaps that going this way is not the way to go. When I've called you to go preach to Nineveh, that means go preach to Nineveh. It doesn't mean go to Tarshish. Now, we're not quite sure if Jonah got the lesson by the end of Jonah 4. But no doubt while he's in the belly of the well, he got some lesson from the Lord. And he says, and he comes to the understanding that salvation is from the Lord. The psalmist petitions to be taught by God. But look at verse 34, coupled with teaching. What else does he? He says, give me understanding and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe it with my whole heart. See, a mind for God needs not only to be taught, but it needs to understand what's being taught. Teach me, Lord, and give me understanding. And once again, the psalmist draws the line of trajectory. He's declaring what his next steps will be. I shall keep your law. Indeed, observe it with my whole heart. So I want you to notice the the progression that's submitted by the psalmist. He says at the beginning there in verse 33... 
I shall keep it. Notice it. I shall keep it. What's it? It's the way. I'll keep the way. And then he goes on. He says, I shall keep your law. In verse 34. Specific word. Specific content. And then he says, I shall observe it with my whole heart. So how he's going to keep the way. This describes how he's going to keep the way. How he's going to go about keeping God's law. He's going to do it with all of his heart. This is how he's going to do it. Are you petitioning God this morning, friends? For a mind that's teachable. Teach me, Lord. Are we praying that? A mind that's desiring to be taught by God through his word. A mind craving to understand what his word says. Listen. You will not crave to understand if you don't delight in this God that you serve. If you don't have an understanding of what God did for you, it's going to be hard for you to manufacture some kind of craving for this. It's an understanding of who God is. It begins, and it always does, with who God is. Who Jesus is and what Jesus, what difference Jesus has made in your life. A mind for God. What else does the psalmist petition of God? He says in verse 35, Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. He's petitioning here for feet for God. A mind for God, feet for God. Walk. Make me walk. Make me walk in the path of your commandments. I was reminded at the end of Proverbs 4, which says, Ponder the path of your feet. And let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Remove your foot from evil. And it seems like an odd expression of sorts when you read the follow-up to the petition. For I delight in it. You know, I was thinking, if, if you delight in it that much, why then the need to petition God to make you walk in the path of his commandments? If he delights in it so much, why have the need to petition God at all on this? I believe, here's what it is. I believe that there's a recognition here of how much he delights in the path of God. And yet he also is very keenly aware of how prone he is to walk contrary to the path. Like the man in Pilgrim's Progress who is walking on that certain path and decides, I'm going to jump the fence and go... Over here. Make me walk. In fact, we see in verse 27 of Psalm 119, that phrase, make me, there it's make me understand the way of your precepts. Here, it's make me walk. Make me walk. Lord, I delight in it, but move me and turn me and make me walk this way. I understand that this is the delightful path. But I also understand that I need you to help me walk in this way. In describing this delightful path, William Cowper describes it this way. He says it's the old and paved way wherein all the servants of God have walked before him. 
And that is reminiscent of the gallery of saints referred to in Hebrews 11. And each one of those saints, they ran the race with feet of faith. They kept to the path of God, looking forward to the heavenly city where one day their feet will trod the streets of gold. Taking in the sights and the sounds of the new Jerusalem, the holy city. Petitioning for feet for God. A mind for God, feet that walk in his paths. What else? Verse 36. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to covetousness. Right here we see a petition. He's petitioning for a heart for God. A heart for God. Thomas Martin said we need not only light to know our way, but a heart to walk in it. Not only do we need the light, thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We, we not only need the light, but we need a heart to walk in it. How's your heart this morning? Regarding things of the Lord. Regarding your love for God. Regarding your understanding of what Christ did for you at the cross of Calvary. Has it made a heart difference? To incline. Incline my heart. To bend my heart. Incline. He's asking that God would bend his heart toward his testimonies. And not just as he sits in the temple worshiping, but as a regular ongoing habit. Incline my heart, Lord, to your testimonies. And not to covetousness. Now, what are the implications of this petition? The implications are that our mind and our feet need to be disciplined. We've already talked about the mind and the feet. The mind and the feet need to be disciplined. That means taking inventory of what comes in through the eye gate. Right? We'll talk about that in just a moment. Taking garbage into your mind. Taking your feet to places that will tempt you to sin. He says, incline my heart, Lord, to your testimonies. Turn my heart to love your word and to hunger and thirst for it. Do we pray to God with this kind of pursuit? Pursuing him in this way. You know, covetousness is the 10th commandment. It says, in short, do not covet. Do not covet. Covetousness is this idea of longing for something that's not your own. It fosters a spirit of discontentment with your own estate. Incline my heart toward your testimonies and not covetousness. On one end, our heart is inclined toward things of the Lord. On the other hand, our heart is inclined... Toward things here in the world. The Bible says do not love the things of this world. For if he has the love of the world. He has not the love of the Father in him. So why would we want to incline our hearts in that direction? When the word clearly says otherwise. Incline your heart. 
That's why he's crying out. He realizes this is hard. This race is very difficult. It's difficult because there's a real foe. It's difficult because there's a real flesh, sinful nature, still there. It's difficult because this this journey is, for many of us, a long journey. Day by day by day by day, this race is going on. And it's hard. And because it's hard, we can't do it on our own. And because we can't do it on our own, we need ourselves to petition God to help us run this race. Give us a mind, Lord. Teach us, Lord. Give us understanding of your word, Lord. Move my feet where they need to be. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to covetousness. Guard your heart, proverb writer says. Why the need to guard and keep it? Jeremiah says that the heart is deceitful above all things. So what's needed? Petition to God, Lord, incline my heart. This heart that you know all too well, incline it. Incline it to your testimonies. Look at the fourth petition here. Verse 37. Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. Here we're speaking, the petition is to have eyes for God, a mind for God, feet for God, a heart for God, eyes for God. Friends, this is a big one. Not that the other three aren't big. Roaming eyes. You know that little song we sang as children, oh, be careful little eyes what you see? That's still true for those of us who are older. Be careful, little eyes. Because the things that go into the eye gate affect the mind, affect the heart, don't they? Affect even the feet. Where we go. It's powerful. Perhaps a question to ask yourself this morning is, is God pleased with what your eyes are taking in? Is he pleased with that? The psalmist doesn't specifically share an example of what for him might serve as a worthless thing. But he's asking of God to turn away his eyes from vanity. David says this in Psalm 101 verse 3. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. And you know the the line in Job 31.1. The covenant that Job made. With his eyes. See, too often we rationalize what gets set before our eyes. We play with it and tend to think, this isn't really all that bad. Have you sat down to watch a movie, perhaps, and know that this movie has some scenes in it, has some language in it, has some scenes in it that you know You know the Lord wouldn't want you watching that. And yet, what do you do? You sit there, you take it in. And some of you not only take it in, some of you actually enjoy it. We need to petition God 
But we need to petition God in this arena. We need to understand that it's not just asking God for eyes for our eyes to turn elsewhere. There is an aspect of this that we have to be disciplined to do these things ourselves. Train ourselves, church, in godliness. This is godliness. What is godliness? In short, it's devotion to God, which results in a life that's pleasing to him. Devotion to God, which results in a life that's pleasing to him. If you're watching and looking at things that you know you ought not be, that's not pleasing to the Lord. Flee youthful lusts. Set nothing wicked before your eyes. Please don't think yourself so strong that you can watch something and you know that if Jesus was in that room next to you, he would look at you with that look. And you know, just to give you an example of of the look, some of you grew up in a home where your dad or your mom, you did something and all it took was the look. The look might have come from your mom, might have come from your dad. He didn't really have to say anything. He just looked at you. And when he looked at you a certain way that you got to know fairly well through your years of training, you knew better not do that. You know, I was thinking about that look and I was thinking about it in in, in Mark's gospel. I was reminded in chapter 10, verse 21, Jesus is with that rich young ruler And the the Bible says that Jesus, looking at him, loved him. You picture Jesus looking at this rich young ruler, loving him, and said, one thing you lack. And the man, you know the story, the man goes away sad and sorrowful, for he had many possessions and was not willing to give up the thing that the Lord had called him to in order to follow him. It's it's the look in, in Luke chapter 22, verse 61. When the Lord turned and looked at Peter... Do you ever thought what that look was that Jesus gave to Peter? Any idea of the look that came from the one Peter just denied three times? How is it that we can set worthless things before our eyes and think it okay? Some are setting worthless things before them and are actually delighting in them. What if the Lord looked at you as he did the rich young ruler? What if he looked at you as he did Peter after denying his name? What kind of look would the Lord give you? And how then might you respond? Instead of looking at vanity, look to the sun. Look to the sun and live. He says, revive me in your way. Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me. Whenever I hear that word revive, I always think of the... Revive me. Some of us in here need that. 
from God. We need to be petitioning God for that very thing, to revive me in your way. Restore life to me by seeing that I look at life-giving things, heavenly-minded things, things of eternal value. Instead of looking at at trivialities and frivolities, look to his life-giving word. Fix your eyes on these wonderful words of life. Look at verse 38. Establish your word to your servant. Don't miss that. To your servant who is devoted to fearing you. Here's the petition. Lord, build your word in me. Build your word. That word establish has in mind to erect or to raise up. And I believe the psalmist is petitioning God to erect his word in his life. And I want you to see what goes hand in hand with this. As he's petitioning, he's also giving an identification and a commitment right here. It's in the text. Establish your word to your servant. A servant gets his instructions from the master and walks that way. Establish your word to your servant who is devoted to fearing you. That's, he's committed to walking with the Lord. He is walking in the fear. The proverb writer talks about the fear of the Lord quite often. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, right? The fear of the Lord. He's devoted to fearing God. There's a reverence. There's an awe in his life about God and making sure that he's walking with God. He desires to walk with God. Some of you here may love God and you might actually believe the Bible to be true from cover to cover. Yet you rarely read it. Rarely. You might have it open today. Perhaps that's the only time it's opened on any regular basis. I pray that it's not. See, these scriptures, Jesus said, testify of me. He said that in John chapter 5. And you read, he said, you read the scriptures thinking that you have life. But if you do not recognize that the object of the word, that the signs are all pointing to Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. They're all pointing to Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's about him. Ask God to establish his word in you. You need his word of truth, friends. You need his word because it makes you wise for salvation. Hearing the word leads to saving faith. The spirit is the one who actually opens your eyes, opens your ears, grants you understanding from his word. Some of you are professing followers of Jesus, but have yet to establish his word in your own life. Your, your family is, is, is perhaps floundering. Maybe you haven't actually verbalized it and vocalized it to anyone, but you, deep down in your heart, you know that it seems like things are just floundering around here. It's absent of the word. Pray to God for him to establish his word first in you, in your spouse, in the lives of each one of your children. Lord, erect a wall of your word in each one of us. That ought to be our prayer. Build a wall. Build a wall with your word in my life, Lord. 
Look at the next one. Verse 39. Turn away my reproach which I dread for your judgments are good. What's the petition? I believe the petition here is to grow me in godliness. Lord, grow me in godliness. Grow me in holy living. See, as we read verse 39, we ask the question, turn away my reproach which I dread. The reproach is coming from whom? Is it coming from man or is it coming from God himself? If, if it's man, if it's turn away my reproach from men, I believe the petition then is to keep him from the taunts of men who would scorn him for exercising himself in a godly manner. Do you know that there are a lot of people today in this world that we live in who are going to um, push you to the side, who are going to make fun of you, just because you are desiring to pursue a holy life. Did you know that? You probably see the effects of it all around you. It's not real hard to see. Turn away my reproach. But what if the reproach is actually coming from the psalmist from the standpoint of God himself? Which I believe that's probably more along the lines of what he's getting at here. Turn away my reproach, which I dread, for your judgments are good. If it's God the one reproaching It's the petition to keep him from sin, which is going to bring about God's rebuke. It's almost as though God is, is trying to teach him, stop settling for sin. Stop thinking that sin is okay, because it's not. This is where growth in holiness, growth in godliness comes into play. We serve a holy God. He cannot hold hands with sin. And he has no desire for his followers to be okay with sin. Turn away my reproach, which I dread. You see, the problem lies not with God, nor God's word. He says, for your judgments are good. The problem lies within himself. You see, here's what happens. There's an ever-increasing awareness of sin in the life of one committed to grow in godliness. There's an ever-increasing awareness of sin in the life of one committed to grow in godliness. So does sin bother you? Is it a big deal? It ought to bother you and it ought to be a big deal in your life because it's a big deal to God. So big he sent his son to take care of it. He sent his son to take care of it, not because his son had a sin problem. He sent his son to take care of it because it was your problem and my problem. And he took care of it through his son at the cross. Look at the last petition. Verse 40. Behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me in your righteousness. Revive me. What's he petitioning? Revive me, Lord, in the right way. Revive me in the right way. This righteousness, I believe, has been spoken of already here. In verse 33, he says, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes. That's that way of righteousness. We see in verse 35, he says, make me walk in the path of your commandments. That path of your commandments, that's the way of righteousness. He said already in looking at verse 37, when he says, revive me in your way. What what way is he talking about? It's the way of righteousness. Revive me in your righteousness. And he says, behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me in your righteousness. And here again, I was thinking and chewing on this because the expression is one that speaks of delight in God 
in his word, and yet the petition is to revive him in righteousness. Listen, does the longing for God's word and the inability at times to walk in that word, does that resonate with anyone here? (laughs) It does with me. You recognize what it says, you like it, you desire it, you delight in it, and you also recognize, man, I feel so far away from it. Lord, I need you to revive me in your way, in your righteous path. That's how he ends this. And I believe God's showing us something here vital to our walk with him. That we cannot run this race on our own. And I believe the psalmist is bringing to the surface something we all desire if we're in Christ. And that is a life that exhibits evidence of a redeemed life, a forgiven life, a changed life. It's like, bring me back to life, Lord. Breathe life into me. I need your Holy Spirit to come and blow mightily upon me. This idea of reviving has in mind to bring back into being That which at one time was present, but now is seemingly absent. Is that true for you? I was reminded of those words to the church at Ephesus. The church at Ephesus had lost what? What did they lose? What did they once have that they lost? Somebody to know. They lost their first love. They lost the Lord. They did. Oh, they did some good things. But they had forgotten their first love. William Plumer writes about verse 40, this petition, and he says, This petition is for liveliness in the knowledge and practice of holiness. Liveliness in the knowledge and practice of holiness, according to the tenor of God's word and by its operation on our heart. And I read that quote and I was reminded of John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38, where Jesus is standing And he says, he cries out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Evidence of a new creation. Evidence of a born again, regenerated Christian. The spirit. Ready, moving in me. A heart that's captured by Christ. Running with resolve, petitioning God all along the way, recognizing his great need for prayer, holding fast to God's word, clinging to his testimonies, faithfully running, trusting that the Lord is right beside him all the way. And church, I'm praying to the God of heaven that he would revive this band of believers here in this place in the way of righteousness. I pray that sin would matter to you all. I pray that his word would be erected in your lives and established in your life that you might, that you might live, that you might grow in the Lord. I pray that you might taste and you might see that the Lord is good. I pray that God would build up pillars in your life, that you would have a mind for God, that you would desire to be taught by him, that you would desire to understand what his word has to say, that you would Be moved, your feet would be moved in places that would be along his path of righteousness and not in places of evil and wickedness. I pray that you would have a heart for God, that he would be your supreme treasure in your life and that you would steward your eyes to please God. I believe what's here in Psalm 119, 33 to 40 
is much more than a testimony. And it is that from the psalmist. It's a testimony. Praise God. It's more than a song to sing. Remember, these psalms were also part of the Jewish Psalter. Many of them were sung. It's more than a song, though. I believe it's more than a prayer. These psalms were also prayed. Have you considered this morning that God is using his humble servant, a humble servant who fears him, to bear witness to what is deemed normal for the follower of God? This is the norm for what ought to be a follower. Instead of, look at how the psalmist is pressing into God and his word. Wow, look at him. Look, look at that. Wow. Perhaps the Lord would have you consider a few questions this morning. Am I pressing into God? Am I running with a firm dependency upon God? Is his word in me? Do I tremble at his word? Isaiah 66 verse 2. The one who trembles at his word is the one that the Lord looks upon. Is the spirit of God alive in me? Is there any convicting evidence that the life of God resides in me? Isaiah chapter 64. Beginning in verse 4. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any God besides you who acts for the one who waits for him. He acts for the one who waits for him. You meet him who rejoices and does righteousness. Does what? Does righteousness. You meet him who rejoices and does righteousness, who remembers you in your ways. You are indeed angry, for we have sinned. In these ways we continue, and we need to be saved. Some of us here need to be saved. He goes on, he says, but we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We, are, we, are, we all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Listen to verse 7. This is the point of what I want to get to. And there is no one who calls on your name, who stirs himself up to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have consumed us. Why? Because he's just a a cruel God? No. Because of your iniquities. There's no one who calls on your name who stirs himself up to take hold of you. The psalmist here in Psalm 119 is rejoicing in his God, delighting in righteousness. And you look around you today and not many are calling upon the Lord, petitioning him for a godly heart, a godly mind, godly feet, godly eyes, godly living, a godly foundation in a word. No one who stirs himself up to take hold of you. May it be this morning that the spirit of God moves the people of God in this place by way of the word of God. Sir Francis Drake, in his prayer, he says this line, Disturb us, O Lord. Disturb us. Stir us up to take hold of you. For Lord, as we run this race of faith, we cannot and we must not 
run without you. We need you. Church, the takeaway from the text this morning is not, wow, look what an incredible saint this psalmist is. It's a testimony, no doubt about it. But the takeaway is, are we petitioning the Lord in this same way? This is what it looks like for a follower of God to walk and to run the race all the way to the finish line. Are you petitioning God in this way? May it be our prayer. It'll be so. Let's pray. Father, I pray that for each one here in this place, Father, that we would have a desire to be taught by you. We would have a desire to understand what you're teaching us. Father, we would have a desire to walk in your way, that our feet would walk in your paths of righteousness. Father, that we would delight in it in such a way that it would be welcoming to walk this way. We would always be on the lookout for where our feet would walk in your path. Father, I pray that you would incline our hearts this morning to your testimonies and not to covetousness. I pray, Father, that you would turn away our eyes from looking at worthless things, that you would revive us in your way. Lord, that you would build that wall of your word in our lives. Establish your word, Lord. And I pray that as we petition that, Lord, that we too would deem ourselves servants of yours, that we too would deem ourselves to be ones who fear you and are devoted to fearing you all of our days. Father, I pray that you would turn away our reproach, which we dread. Lord, that we would come to the understanding that the problem is not with you and the problem is not with your word. The problem is oftentimes residing within us in our own heart. Help us to see sin as you see sin and to deal with that sin accordingly. And Father, we long for your precepts. We long for them. And we're asking at the same time as we long for them, we're asking, Lord, that you would revive us in your righteousness. See that we're walking in your right path. Direct us, Lord, when we go astray. And I pray, Father, that in this place there would be many people. I pray for each one in Christ. And Father, we all would be stirred up to take hold of the things that you have afforded to us through Jesus Christ. You have blessed us and given to us much in Jesus. Father, I pray that it would be our desire to walk in a way that would please you. May we be devoted in that way. May the evidence be very clear to those around us that we're walking and running this way. And as we run, Lord, we ask that you would grant us grace to do it in a way that would please you. We pray this in the name of Jesus, the one who is the author and the perfecter, the one who ran the race before us. We thank you for the example that you've given to us in Christ Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.